All right, boys and girls, episode 87 with Peter Baker is about to start, and he was a blast to chat with, as if you follow him online, he has quite the quirky personality, and what we go over in this episode is everything from how he quit his job at Coca-Cola to become a uh, trainer, and then eventually moving on to the online space, how he became a published writer for outlets like T-Nation, and of course, uh, we could not get around it, but the his obsession of butt stuff, and I'm using quotation marks on this one, as someone brought it up from his side of Facebook, and... We also ask him why he decided to dress up as Harley Quinn for Halloween, and without spoiling too much, we're going to get right into the episode. Peter was amazing to chat with, and hopefully you enjoy his interview as much as I did. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the one and only Peter Baker. Say hello. Hi. So I like to break the ice for the audience and always ask my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, what, what is, uh, I think I might clean the house. Uh, I recently got a PlayStation 4. Uh, before nice. that, I owned a GameCube that was given to me by a friend about 10 or 11 years ago. And then before that, the last thing I owned was a PlayStation 1. Uh, but I played all the other consoles and... Uh, you know, so I found some good games that I enjoy, but now I finally own a PlayStation 4, and uh, I got a few games to go along with it. Nice. Well, what are you playing right now? Well, I just got done playing Batman Arkham Knight because I did play all the other ones, and they were very good. Uh, this one was also pretty good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also got some of the Resident Evil games because the last one I played was Resident Evil 4, uh, so I got 5 and 6. Going to see how those are. I also got Metal Gear Solid 5, and that's nice. probably my favorite video game series of all time yeah like i love playing video games but then when you find one that you're so into you're like oh my god six hours went by where did the day go yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy and then you know and then on top of that i have to go like lift weights and all that stuff (laughs) the important stuff whatever right um so for the audience can you tell them who you are what you do and how did you get into this industry Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose I could do that. I'm Peter Baker. I train people. I also do a lot of writing for various outlets. And um, a long time ago, when I was in college at the prestigious University of South Florida, I started a club called the, U- the USF Kettlebell Club. Uh, and we basically stood out on a field with my kettlebells and we lifted them. And uh, at one point, it got to where my friend and I would just throw them at each other and catch them and stuff. It was pretty neat. Uh, see, that was 2008. And uh, so, yeah, and, and before that, I had been lifting, and uh, I learned how to get strong and stuff like that. And then I said, hey, you know, this might be a good job someday. Um, and that day did not come that it was, a, like, a full-time job until 2014 when I got fired from Coca-Cola, which is where I worked from 2011 until then. So... Yeah, you know, I've been I've been following it on the fringes for a while, and then I guess I officially got into it in 20, 2014, like right at the beginning of the year. Because as soon as I got fired, I was like, well, I should probably get started on that. So I went and rented some studio space, and uh, so yeah, so I started training people in person there. And then recently, I stopped doing that and focused everything on writing and training people on the internet. Awesome. So what what made you start working for Coca Cola in the first place? I needed a job. Fair enough, yeah. So. I needed more money. And before before that, uh, from 2008, uh, and I did some of this concurrently with Coca-Cola. So from 2008, I was working as a guitar and piano instructor at a private, um, a private music store near where I lived at the time. Mm-hmm. So I did that until 2012, and I got the job at Coke in 2011. So I had to reduce the hours at the music store. And uh, so, yeah, so then I worked at Coke because it was like, you know um, – it was one of those things where, because you know we're not in Canada in America here, so we don't get the uh, the free health care. Yep. So we have to make sure that we get a job that's got the good benefits. Otherwise, if we die, we die, and then that's it. Um, so this job had all that, and uh, it was cool because uh, you know the day we were going to uh, my grandmother's funeral was the day I also had the interview there. So I went to the interview, um, and I went back home, and then 
went to the funeral and then on the way back from the funeral they called me up and said oh hey uh, you got the job and i was like oh that's wonderful like well what did you have to do for coke like what was your position oh god it was terrible i talked on the phone all day and uh i talked to people who knew that i was going to be calling them so it wasn't like uh it wasn't like i was cold calling them but um the, the 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 people I called specifically were Subway restaurants, Domino's Pizza, and at the time, Papa John's Pizza before they sold out and switched mm-hmm. to Pepsi. So uh, so I would call them up and say, what do you want this week for your, your beverage order? Yeah, like I can't imagine, like even now, like Coke and Pepsi are still kind of dominating the world. And with all the information on nutrition, like you would think people would just kind of stop. But I don't know, I guess it's just like, Oh, a culture thing now in Canada and in the States just to have a Coke every time you go out and eat. Well, shit, man, I have, uh, well, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Monster Energy, right? Yeah. So most of the places uh, Coca-Cola distributes Monster Energy. I have a coffee Monster uh, almost every day. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I like coffee and I like uh, a lot of caffeine and they got it. And then I have those with my Pop-Tarts almost every morning <laughs> nice so maybe we should get into like what your diet is currently because now i'm kind of curious you're eating pop tarts and monster energy i like where this is going <laughs> yeah i just wrote a thing on that um actually so i grew up uh in a single parent household my father had custody of me because my parents divorced when i was two mm-hmm. um and he was a 1990s health nut so i don't know if you how old are you <laughs> 26 Okay, so you're not that much. I mean, you're five years younger than I am, so you probably remember like uh, at the time in the '90s they had like uh, these various things to to make low fat dieting easier. That was like the big craze, low fat and everything. Yeah. And so they had fat, like they had this one fat substitute. Um, I think it was called Olestra or something like that. Uh, made people shit their brains out whenever they had it. Uh, they made it. With, they made potato chips and stuff with it. It was. Uh, you know, it was a fat substitute, and uh, it was supposed to not. Uh, it was like a God, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a fat substitute. And that's the, the yeah. important thing. So that was the big thing back then. So my dad uh, reflected that, and you know, he generally tried to be healthy. Um, so it was very restrictive. However, we also lived next to my grandparents, who didn't give a shit what I ate. So when I wanted to, I could just go over there and eat fish sticks and macaroni and cheese and Hostess brownies and shit like that. So I would do that, and then I would also eat the healthy stuff my dad made. And then sometimes I would go and stay with my mom, who also didn't care too much about what I ate. Uh, and we would, I would, that's when I would uh, be able to eat the McDonald's and stuff like that that I wanted, because uh, that was never an option when I was hanging out with my dad. And um, so, you know, it kind of warped me a little bit. So eventually it got to the point where I was eating a lot. And then in the year 2000, I was in high school, starting high school. I was 14. Uh, a friend of mine, well, he became a friend. He moved into the neighborhood. And so I would go over to his house. You know, his mom would cook all kinds of great food. Uh, and they always had Coca-Cola and stuff in the house. And they said I could have whatever I wanted. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So I would have dinner there. Then I would go home and have whatever my dad made. So you know, eventually I ate too much and I got a little fat. And uh, now, since I know, like, how these things work and how to manipulate the variables to be healthy and lose weight and all that stuff. Uh, I could have them whatever I want at, and not sacrifice my health and still get lean as needed. Nice. So do you follow kind of like a macros approach or like, how do you fit in those little treats without, you know, blowing up like a balloon? I, I, I track everything, uh, right down to the gram for the most part oh, wow. because it's easy for my life to do that. Because if I'm working from home, uh, I could generally have, a lot of the same things over and over again. So like, you know, some vegetables, some meat products and all that stuff, pretty static. And then, you know, if I go out or something like that, I could just look up the information and all that. And, um, so yeah, it fits with my life fairly easy. So that's what makes it uh, work for me. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so this can kind of go into my next question is like your take on nutrition when you're training clients, like do you give them the same approach, like here's macros is what you should be doing, or do you have kind of like a system for a brand new person coming in? Um, you have to talk to them to figure out what might work best for them and ask them what they're comfortable doing. Yeah, you can't just uh, you can't just say, hey, do this, because uh, 
man, some people are downright miserable trying to uh, weigh their food and stuff like that. And not everybody, not everybody gives a crap about spending a Sunday shoving food into a Tupperware container. You That's know? true. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't meal prep. Like I'm, I don't want to do all that bulk cooking. Uh, when I first started, I was, I was actually hired by somebody to make food for them. And I was like, man, this really sucks. This is a lot of time to spend making like 35 different meals for the whole week. So, you know, I mean, I get why people don't want to do it. It's time consuming. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm in kind of the same boat. Cause like, I remember there was one Sunday and like I finished cooking for the week and I'm like, man, I just spent six hours in the kitchen getting all my meals prepped like there needs to be a better way and one of the things i started doing was just getting like pre-packaged salads where you just like literally open the bag mix the whole thing and you're ready to go and that saved so much time so do you have any like strategies for clients out there listening that you know prepping meals on a sunday takes way too long and they're i want to call them like a life hack but some way to make it easier to have healthy food around well, you could take uh, you could take a few pounds of chicken to, or I guess you would call it. Wait, do they use pounds in Canada or kilograms? And don't you guys use both? Both. It's so confusing. Like centimeters right, and every, inches. Yeah. Because every time I talk to like Megan or some other Canadian, they talk about you know lifting weights in terms of pounds. Yeah. That's but you true. know, like if you talk to somebody from England, they're talking about lifting in kilos. Yeah. So when do you guys use uh, kilograms versus pounds? Uh, personally, I use kilograms with kettlebells and pounds for like barbell stuff. And well, I mean, I mean like on a, on a, on a general, uh, level. So like, if you're talking to a normal person, like, do you use kil- kilograms for weighing yourself? Oh, or, I use like, pounds for sure. Pounds. It's just easier. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, you know, get a couple pounds of chicken titties, throw them in a crock pot with some seasonings, right? And then you have a bunch of food that you could have every day all the chicken or uh you know if you're me i prefer chicken thighs because they taste better because you don't have to eat boneless skinless chicken breasts in order to uh to get you know uh lean um so you take a bunch of those right and then you can get some frozen vegetables and then if you put the vegetables frozen into your tupperware you can microwave the whole thing throughout the week and it'll cook the vegetables and it'll cook the chicken and um if you partition the chicken differently right you know you separate it all you could add barbecue barbecue sauce to some you could add a teriyaki sauce to another and different types of seasonings to the chicken after you've made it so that way you have a little bit of variety while cooking a bunch of stuff in one fell swoop nice so because i know you're an online coach like when did you do the transition going into online coaching only uh, well, I had planned to do it at the beginning of the year, and then I got into a car accident, which oh, did geez. not injure me, but it made me uh, it made me lose my car. So I figured that was a good time, even though I'd already <laughs> planned on it. Man, um, so on the topic of online coaching, like when you get a client that signs up for the first time and say they're just brand new to everything, like they're starting from like round zero. I'm kind of curious about your like system of how you're going to program for them for, say, fat loss, and also, like, where do you stand on nutrition? Because I know some online coaches are like, oh, I'm not certified to coach nutrition. I shouldn't do it. I'm going to refer out. And then some other ones are like, no, I can coach nutrition, no problem. Uh, Well, legally speaking, uh, you have to be careful with what you say because, uh, you know, uh, in America, um, a dietitian can tell you what to eat, but um, a personal trainer cannot. So, yeah, I can make suggestions and – I do make suggestions and um, sometimes I get a lot of people who they pretty much have that covered. They'll just need like a couple specific things answered like that. You know, so sometimes it doesn't take up a lot, the the nutrition stuff. But before all that, I have them go to my coaching page and they have to apply because uh, I don't want to work with shitheads. Most people that I've worked with are, are, are typically not, but like, you know, like if you're a racist, I don't want your money, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't want those types of uh, people coming along. But so they have to apply. Um, and that gives me a general sense of if we're going to get along or not. And then, you know, after that, um, we'll talk and see what they liked about what they've done, what worked for them, what they hated about any past experiences and stuff like that. All while being careful that they did come from a, a, a another coach, not to bash that coach, but, you know, just let them know what they did or didn't like about their actual physical activity and all that. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And like, yeah. how, how often when you ask the, you know, a new client coming in, if they had a coach before, like how many of them actually had a coach before, would you say? Uh, a very small amount of them have uh, okay. been through any kind of coaching before, but occasionally somebody did. And then, you know, so the, and, and a lot of the times they generally liked what was going on or occasionally a previous coach didn't think they were as strong as they could have been and stuff like that. But those are really the only issues I've run into so far. Yeah. Like for me personally, I've seen probably, I would say 80% of the people have come to me that had a coach in the past. And I always ask like what happened and there's always been like some sort of bad experience. And I'm like, God damn it. Our industry, come on, let's do this thing. And it's kind of interesting when you start hearing the stories of what happened, what went wrong and then your like mind inside is like blowing up, and you're like, I can't believe that happened, and I want to tell them how shitty that person was, but I want to look professional. Yeah, and that's the most you could do is just uh, be the best that you can be without, um, you know, without essentially shitting on somebody else. And I think like the whole idea of like online coaching now is being so like it's so popular now. Everyone wants to jump into it. And, you know, you see a lot of new coaches that may be trained in an actual gym for like three months with clients and they're like, hey, I'm going to start online training. And I'm kind of one of those people where, you know, you kind of want at least, I don't know, a year of actually training in person because it's like, how do you coach, I don't know, a back squat online when you haven't really, you know, went through any bumps or bruises with clients trying to figure out why they can't squat properly? I don't know. That's just me. No, and that makes uh, complete sense. So when I was doing the um, the USF kettlebell club, you know, I developed a way to teach people how to do a kettlebell swing. Which, in and of itself, despite what any RKC or strong first person will tell you, the kettlebell swing is not a magical movement. It's simply a hip hinge, which is a deadlift. The only difference is you're doing a shitload of them usually, and you're doing them a little faster than normal, right? But all it is is hip extension, right? So there's a way to teach hip extension that's fairly easy that I came up with way back when. And, uh, you know, I use it to this day. So when I'm explaining to somebody who may have not done a deadlift, you know, uh, I say, well, here's how to do it. Give it a shot. Send me a video. We'll, we'll go over it then. And then that's it. And then, you know, okay, now try with a little bit of weight. Typically I always err speaking in terms of kettlebells. I always err on the side of 16 kilograms to, um, what the hell's the, the 53 pounds, the no, 24 kilograms. I'm like, okay, start there. Use that. Try this. Um, Oh, uh, your back started around, maybe elevated on a cinder block, which when I was working in the studio space, there were a lot of cinder blocks around. So it was the perfect elevation to get people to regress their hip hinge. And, you know, you just go from there and then keep on going. And from a state, a safety standpoint, um, you know, if I'm really not sure about their deadlift off the floor, I just have them do it from a rack because it's fucking hip extension. It doesn't matter. Just have them deadlift from a rack. Nobody's, everybody has this idea that you have to train like a power lifter and it's completely erroneous and uh, just flat out uh, incorrect. So, you know, just have them, if I mean, you know, just have them deadlift from a rack. It's no big deal. They don't even have to barbell squat to get good results. No, not at all. Like that. And, that's, uh, sorry, go on. I was going to say for some people that's uh, utterly shocking. Yeah. Well, like that, that's the thing. Like you don't need to have, be married to one tool for your clients. Like, you know, kettlebells, I like kettlebells personally, cause it's just a universal tool. Like you can do so much with it. Whereas a barbell, you, you can't really do everything with, you know, the general population. Cause most of them have really tight hip flexors. They have horrible posture. And now you're putting a bar on their back and they just look like a melted candle and you're like, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, and you know, plus it's all, all a matter of like, what do you have? Not all gyms have kettlebells. Some do. Some have very low weight kettlebells, which, um, teaching somebody how to swing like an actual legitimate swing with, uh, even with like a, like, um, a 12 kilogram kettlebell can sometimes be tough unless it's like a 90 pound four eleven woman, you yeah. know, then, then they could probably get away with swinging the 12 kilogram kettlebell, but, uh, and you have know, some other, exceptions as well but generally you know you have to have a decent amount of weight for that to work so you know it's all about what you have too and if you can't work with the kettlebells and use a dumbbell or find something else it's, it's pretty pretty simple yeah. to, to make modifications like that and stuff like that 
And I'm also curious, like, what do you, like, how do you program for fat loss? Because there's, like, so many different ways of doing it, but what's kind of, like, your go-to or, you like, you know this program works for everybody? Like, what is your kind of take on that? Uh, generally, you have to have a decent amount of volume. Not too much because people can adapt to volume, right? And, uh, you know, if they stall out and you want to increase their activity factor, you can increase the volume. So generally finding out where they are, like, you know, if they're pretty detrained or if they came from something like uh, like a five by five strong lifts or whatever, then uh, you, you would start generally low-ish on the volume without a huge focus on the load and then uh, just go from there and then work on after you get the volume going, you, you work on making the workouts more dense, you know, taking less time to actually do all that volume. And then, then from there you can make increases in the load, not necessarily their one rep max, but you know, like, uh, if they did X amount of weight for 10 reps, then next time try X plus five for 10 reps, et cetera. Uh, so really just, just trying to increase the volume and the density works wonders for, for fat loss provided their calories are in check, which is the main thing. So now, do you do you like calorie counting with uh, clients, or do you kind of follow like a habit-based approach where everyone's eating like you know hand porsche sizes and things like that? Um, it depends on where they're from. Some people come in and they're like, "Yeah, I really love counting macros," and I'm like, "Oh, great, great, keep doing that. Uh, let me know if you got any questions on it. What are your macros at now? Is it working? Blah blah blah, that type of thing." So like somebody who signed up the other week says, "Yeah, I've been eating at maintenance. It's great." I'm like, "Okay, well." Here's what we're going to do. It's going to be a little bit more volume based on what you said you wanted to do. So let me know if you're still maintaining with your current maintenance calories or if we need to fix that. And then we go from there. Other people do well with, you know, something I wrote about. Actually, I published it today, uh, taking pictures of it. That's like the least low effort or that's like the lowest effort form of tracking I think you can you can do is – to take a picture, right? Cause then when you get a sense over the course of a few weeks of what your food looks like, right. And if you're not losing fat or gaining weight, like you want, you can look back at these pictures and say, okay, I could take out this, this, that, or I could add some more of that and all that good stuff. Okay. So it depends, depends on the client. Yeah. Like, you know, well, the other thing I kind of wanted to get into is like how to deal with those tough clients. Cause, um, recently I brought Krista Scott Dixon to Vancouver to just do like a meetup of coaches. And one of the big things that every coach asked her was like, how you do like deal with like difficult clients where, you know, cause PN is all about habits and that's how everyone kind of there was coaching their clients. And it's like, you know, you give a habit to a new client that you're working with and they're kind of doing it, not really. Like one week they're good, the next week they're not. And they're like kind of just hitting a wall. They're not really progressing. And they're constantly asking Krista, like, what would you do in this situation? So I was kind of curious of like your take on, you know, I would say a difficult client where, you know, you're giving them all this information, you're doing all you can do. But on the other end of the spectrum of the client, they're not, you know, producing result. Like, what do you do in those situations? Uh, you just got to ask them a lot of questions, like, you know, cause they have a life outside of that and you don't want this whole training thing to interfere with their, their life, but you got to find out what's going on. Like, where's the, where's the problem? Are they not getting enough sleep? That's a, usually a good starting point. Um, can they get more sleep? And it's all about a question. It's all about the questions of what are they able to do at a, at a given time, you know, or you know, we have different things like, um, you know, it's kind of like when somebody quits smoking, the, one of the advice or some of the advice they get whenever they, you know, if they go to like a counselor for quitting is, uh, yeah, if you hang out with your friends at bars a lot and that's where you smoke a lot, uh, don't go to the bars, that type of thing. So they have things where they just decide to go ape shit and eat a lot of food. Um, is there a way to make that not happen? Uh, perhaps going at a different time, going with different people, uh, not going or eating beforehand, et cetera. So, I mean, stuff like that. And, you know, just trying to ask enough questions and the right questions to get to the root of the problem. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I think that was kind of like the way the conversation was going. It was like, you kind of have to ask the right questions where it makes a client almost think of an answer or solution or even asking like, 
I think what Krista called it is like the two ridiculous questions. And one of them was like, what's a good thing of not changing this behavior? And then you just like wait for the client's mind to kind of like explode and almost like feel kind of awkward and weird, but somehow <laughs> like lead them to the answer. And I was like, man, that's really good. Yeah, Krista's very smart. I, I thoroughly have enjoyed her. Actually, it's funny enough, back when I uh, was working at Coca-Cola, I, I always worked these four 10-hour shifts. So mm-hmm. I would work, I think, like counting the lunch break, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So after 5 p.m., a lot of the call volume right would drop, so I wouldn't have to do as much work. So I would sit there and surf the internet, and I would read Stumptuous.com, which is Krista Scott Dixon's website, yeah. for those who are unaware. I would uh, read a lot of her stuff. Uh, it's also where I found out about Lee Peel. Uh, you know, all while I should have been working, I was reading their stuff. And I was like, man, this is, this is good stuff. So, so yeah, she's, she's great. Um, actually, I was going to get into like almost like a case study for you because there was this one coach at the event that um, was having difficulty in his own family circle. So he's uh, married with two kids and his uh, in-laws are living with him in the basement. And his in-laws are the type of people that will let uh, his daughter just eat complete junk all the time. And this coach is kind of like the type A personality, like we'll wake up at 4 a.m., work out every day, super clean eating. And he's been trying to like get his you know in-laws to kind of stop feeding his daughter crap because he's just like... He's just like burning up inside of the thought of like her eating junk food every single day. And they've had like numerous talks and, you know, the in-laws are okay. I understand, but they continue doing it anyway. And he's like, so how do I get through to them? And oh, well, kind of- they're not, they're, they're, they're not going to give one flying shit what he has to say. Yeah. Because, um, and I deal with this in my family all the time. Well, in fact, most of my family are knuckleheads. Uh, my dad's a pretty smart guy for the most part. Um, you know, but the rest of my family's knuckleheads, so they're not going to listen to me for one, because they always hated the fact that I asked questions and that I was a know-it-all. I was a very smart kid, precocious, and all that. Still am, and so they're not going to listen to me because of the context in which they have known me my entire life. And for them, having them see me outside of that context in which they have viewed me the whole, their, my whole life, that's going to take a lot if it happens at all. So. Yeah, if they give a shit, refer them to somebody else. Uh, and also, like, you know, some people – somebody suggested I start doing, like, corporate talks. And I was like, I don't know about that. I don't <laughs> and I was like – so, like, if that if I were to do that, right, if I were to do that, if I had tried to do that after I got fired from Coca-Cola, I mean, I could have easily done it at Coke. I could have said, yeah, don't drink too much Coke, blah, 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 whatever, watch what you eat, um, et cetera. Coke's not the enemy, all that good stuff because, you know – moderation, whatever. I could have done that and it would have been well, but the people who worked there at the time would not have been receptive to it because of how they viewed me. They viewed me as a guy who did very little to get the job done, which is true. I did the bare minimum amount of work to keep the job because I fucking hated the job so much. And they knew that. They knew I was irreverent and I cracked jokes at meetings all the time. And I was the guy who had a shitload of Stephen King books on the desk because when I wasn't making phone calls, we get like 30 seconds in between phone calls, I would, I would just read books and not care. So when they would say, uh, why don't you sell more products or whatever? It's like, I don't care about the money that much because I hate the job. I'm just going to sell enough to get by. So they would not have been receptive to any message I would have brought to them that would have made their life better. Had I gone that route and done that just because of the context in which they see me. So for this guy, it's going to be a hard road for his in-laws who probably resent the fact that they live in the basement anyway, because nobody wants to live in a basement they're not going to listen to Jack shit. He says until that context is far, far away from them. Definitely. I think family and like even spouses are so difficult to like even mention fitness or health. And like, I've experienced it with my wife where she just, because I'm a coach, it makes it even worse that she feels like she has to, you know, be on the same level as me. I'm like, no, that's not the case at all. And like, even like coaching clients where, you know, one spouse is like super into improving their health and they come home and their husband's like eating two O. Henry bars and pizza for dinner while the wife is eating like a salad. Like that is such a tough situation 
to get the support needed in order to be successful in life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of my old coaches, um, he, he wrote this on a, on a, on a, on a forum that I was a part of back in the day. Uh, he said, if you guys aren't on the same path, simple physics dictates that you guys are going to separate pretty matter of fact way of looking at it, but, uh, you know, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it could get to that point where it just becomes too much. And, uh, I mean, obviously you don't want anybody's like whole family to break up over it, but I mean, it, it, it could happen, you know? Yeah. Like I've seen, I've seen that happen before with clients, but it's usually the situation where like the husband or wife, they are one of those people where they were like constantly just trying to get into fitness and they were kind of in that circle of like, one month of consistency and then they're gone for three months they come back for two months and then they're gone for six months just kind of going back and forth whereas the other spouse has been on going to the gym the entire year without any kind of break so i i don't know like that we're getting out into like relationships but it, it's true it's really difficult to you know see progression or success when you know your other half is just like eh, whatever yeah it it, it totally is and, uh, you know, it kind of sucks for those people, too. I feel bad for them. Oh, there goes the dog. <laughs> Calm down. He's, he means well. He means actually, well. It's, actually, it's funny. Speaking of serial killers, like we talked about before the podcast <laughs> yeah. started, uh, right where I live, there is a serial killer on the roam. Well, they haven't awesome. referred to him as such. They haven't referred to him as such um, in, uh, in the news yet. It's more of a multiple murderer thing because – they're not a hundred percent sure if it's a serial killer, but there have been uh, four dead bodies, and presumably two of them are from the same suspect. Jeez. And they have not caught him yet. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Not as interesting as what you would see on a Criminal Minds type show or anything like that, but uh, it's definitely unnerving. A lot of people in the local businesses are kind of hurting because of that, so that kind of sucks. Yeah, I can only imagine like living in a place where you know, like around the corner, there might be like a serial murderer, but. I don't. We we don't really have that like crazy stories up in Canada that much, other than you guys got Robert Picton. Yeah, that was like yeah. <laughs> Do you know the time frame too? Like that uh, that was, I mean he didn't he didn't get put away until like uh, this you know like after year two thousand. I forget exactly what year. Might have been oh nine when he finally went to jail. Yeah, in Canada it takes a long time for anything to get done, <laughs> like a long time. Cause I, I even remember like I, cause I grew up in a bad part of what they call Surrey called Wally. It's basically like the projects here in, uh, ba- do you remember the Vancouver ride for the Stanley cup? Uh, vaguely. I don't follow a lot of soccer. Uh, so it was hockey, but it's okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny cause, um, a lot of, we get a lot of Canadians who come down here to watch the Tampa Bay lightning cause yeah. apparently they're, they're huge. And apparently Sometimes it's cheaper to come down here for a game oh, big than it is to than it is to watch games in Canada, which I'm yeah. not really sure how that works out. But like I know people have seen the Trailer Park Boys down here <laughs> watching hockey games and stuff like that. But I don't follow hockey either all that much. So like uh, so yeah, like I'm, I'm unfamiliar with a lot of things. So I'd, I'd heard of the riots, but I didn't know like the backstory behind them or anything. Now I feel like an idiot because I should have known it was hockey and not soccer, but <laughs> it's all right. So the Stanley cup, it was in Vancouver. So it's Vancouver Canucks and uh, Boston Bruins. And the moment the Canucks lost, like I, like I was downtown for it to watch it. And I already knew that there was going to be a huge riot. So I just got out of there as quick as possible. And then when I got home and started like watching the news, you know, like cars are being set on fire. People are breaking into like, every brand name store stealing shit like they closed down all the bridges it was just like a disaster and then when they started catching all these people because you know everyone has a phone with a camera on and you know there was like kids in high school that had like a full right scholarship to go play hockey or lacrosse down in the states lost it because they were caught like breaking into an atm or setting a cop car on fire and when they started bringing out the list of like all the people that were caught and were getting, you know, charged with something, majority of them were from like Surrey in the Wally area. And that's where I grew up. So I remember one time I was uh, taking my wife back then was my girlfriend um, to a park 
And like the moment I got out of my car, two guys came up to me and mugged me and like I almost got stabbed. They got caught, thankfully. And I remember like uh, I got like a letter that when they were, you know, arrested, uh, both of them had criminal records. They've like mugged people in the past, robbed places um, and on them, they had drugs on them, knives and a gun. And they both got six months in like whatever prison we have here. And I'm like, seriously, six months. <laughs> but, uh, that's our Canadian legal system. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, that's, that's crazy. But you know, we have moments like that here too, where people yeah. don't get, um, the punishment they deserved. But yeah. Um, anyway, so let's get back into it until <laughs> he went on a random rant there. Um, cause you said in the beginning of the interview that you write for a couple other outlets, correct? Yes. Well, which ones are they? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, I've written a ton of articles for biolane.com, you know, the website of, uh, Lane Norton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written for complete human performance. Uh, also, uh, T nation. I wrote something for them. And it was fantastic. It's probably one of the best articles they have in the past like five years. Awesome. Because, but uh, but yeah, those those are a couple. I've also written for Roman Fitness Systems. You know the website of yep. John Romanello. Uh, and see anything else? There was this other website called Ask Fitness Coach. I've done some stuff from for them too, and a friend of mine introduced me to them, so that was kind of cool. And uh, I think that's about it, probably. Sweet. Like that can be another good question because I know I have a lot of coaches listening to this podcast and, you know, a lot of them want to, you know, get better and have their names all over plastered into the industry. And like one of the ways is writing for a huge outlet like T Nation. So what was kind of your steps or like did someone just reach out to you or did you like cold email every outlet and be like, hey, I'm awesome. Let me write for you. Like what was what happened? How did you get that? Oh, so so sometime back in. I think it was oh nine. This was in the height of my kettlebell club days, uh, and I was really into the kettlebells. I emailed TC Luoma from you know the DT Nation guy. I said, "Hey, here's this kettlebell article." He's like, "Yeah, our audience really isn't into kettlebells." Fast forward to now, they fucking love them. Uh, but back then, when they actually were a little more hardcore, he's like, "Yeah, that would that wouldn't really go well with our audience." I'm like, "All right, whatever." Uh, so then. Fast forward, like to, to get the T Nation gig. This was last year. I wrote something about grip training because one of my old coaches was into grip training. He was a grip strength athlete. Uh, so I was like, this this will be good for T Nation. They don't have anything like this. I mean, they have the usual carry shit for distance. That'll be good for your grip and all that. But they didn't really have anything like in depth about the motions of the hand and what your hands can do and all that good stuff. Uh, so I wrote something like that and I was like, Hey TC, uh, is your email still the same? Cause I want to send this to you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we like it. Uh, we'll publish it. And I was like, okay, cool. So that's how I got for T nation. Um, I think I started, I think I wrote something for Roman fitness systems. I emailed, they have a submission form on their website. So I emailed them and, uh, it's best to have something fully written already. Um, that way, even if you do have to pitch, you already have it written, so you know what to pitch. And then when they say, yeah, we'll take this, uh, you just send it in the next day. Uh, provide your own pictures if you can. Make somebody do as little work as possible. So make sure you edit your stuff before you do it, before you send it out so they don't have to do it. Because you want them to do uh, the least amount of work. And if they don't respond to you after a couple of days, just just fucking keep emailing them. Eventually they, they will respond one way or the other. But, um, yeah, so it helps to be very good at writing. and. One of the things I got from hanging out with John Romanello is that it pays to be a good writer, which is something I've always been into. But he reinforced that and kind of validated it, which made it awesome. So I got better at it. And uh, yeah, so you know, you just keep sending stuff to people. You got to find out what type of people a particular publication caters to. So Complete Human Performance, for instance, they're into hybrid athlete stuff. So people who want to deadlift heavy and run shitloads of distances. That's, uh, that's kind of their thing. So I said, uh, well, here, here's how you could use auto regulation for that. And then I sent them a thing and they gave me money for it. It was great. Awesome. Yeah. And then, um, go on, sorry. sorry. Uh, Go on. Sorry. I was gonna, and then, um, 
So that's basically it. Just find out what the people you want to write for need and, you know, look for gaps and fill it in and just get really good at writing. And in order to do that, you have to write often. So do that. Write yeah. often. Yeah, and uh, now <laughs> – sorry. That happens like a lot. I know. Like we have so many ideas coming back and forth. <laughs> and then uh, and then some people will say, oh, well, there's like 8 million articles on how to deadlift. But your article on how to deadlift is not there. So in an effort to be me, right, uh, you know, my deadlift cue – actually, let me – let me pull up my deadlift cue because it's great because it'll make people remember it, which is what you want. But um, it, it's also, you know, it's also different enough to where, you know, it's not, it's not the same stuff over and over again. So, I posted this on Facebook on April twenty fifth. It says, "How to deadlift? If you could have sex while standing, you can deadlift." So, having said that, imagine that you're on the receiving end of a penis or a strap on or other phallic device. Uh, bend at your hips and push them back as if you really want to take it in the ass and the person you want to give it to you is far away. So you're basically showing your asshole to the world, and that's how you deadlift. You stand back up from there, and then you repeat over and over again. Um, another one, uh, how to do a push-up. Uh, you know, in order to get proper shoulder position, you don't want to be Jesus on the cross. You want to be T-Rex, so you want to keep your arms close to you to start you know, when you're starting to learn how to do the push-ups, people are going to remember that too. And, uh, you know, it's just those things like, yeah, there's tons of push-up and deadlift articles, but I'm probably one of the few people who says them that way. <laughs> Which I'm like happy you brought that up because like when I posted, um, questions for you online, some guy named Bass Van Denberg asked, I think it was something to do about butt stuff. And I'm like really curious about like this whole fascination of butts and stuff like that with your audience and how you promote yourself. Uh, I just really like anal sex. That's that's pretty Fair much enough. it, yeah. you know. And um, you know, uh, glute training's fun. You know, I because I I have a set of glutes that they're nice, and I really like the deadlift. So it all kind of works in together like that. So when people say how did you get it to be so nice? It's, well, I've done a shitload of hip hinging over time. Uh, kettlebell club. Gosh, there were so many kettlebell swings that we did back in the day. Like, it's ridiculous. It probably numbers in the millions, you know, based on going out there three times a week and just swinging kettlebells of all types of different weights over and over again. And then there was those, uh, the, that period where I competed in powerlifting, you know, and a lot of deadlifting happening there, a lot of reverse hyperextensions and all that good stuff. Nice. So, so that's that's kind of how that happened, and um, you know, I mean, they are. I mean, they're like the biggest muscles in your body. They're good for performance, and they protect your lower back, like Doctor Stuart McGill has uh, noted in his research. And you know, they're also aesthetic. I think the other question I was going to ask is like, why did you want to dress up as Harley Quinn? I'm really fascinated with that. So when she started getting her solo adventures. In the new 52, I was like, oh, these are pretty good stories. Um, uh, and then the Suicide Squad movie came out. I was like, oh, it'd be funny if I dressed up as Harley Quinn for Halloween. And, uh, you know, it was just a way to build an audience. No, which is... we, could boil, we could boil down most of my actions to that point uh, as a way to, 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 to build an audience, which is important if you want to be successful. You have to have people know you and not forget you. Yeah, because I think you're doing a really good job of, like, breaking the norm, right? Like all these coaches on like, are trying to build online businesses they're basically just mimicking what other coaches are doing because they don't really know what they're doing so they're just kind of you know falling into the middle of everybody else and, and, and here yeah go on and, and here's the thing too like um to me um well maybe maybe to a layman it's a little bit tougher to digest all the um the sciences the science behind programming and all that stuff but amongst you, me, and our peers, like it's it's not that hard to me. It's not that hard, right? It's it's pretty easy, right? And uh, you know, I know tons of people. You know, tons of people. Like uh, they they can they can put together a good program for somebody, and they'll get great results on it. But um, you know, uh, they they'll come to you because of you, not because of. Not because you can help them get rid of their uh, bilateral asymmetry, because if you say if you start off with that, they're going to look at you like you're a fucking dork. Nobody wants that. I mean, being a dork is fine. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I I told you I wrote for Lane Norton. That guy's a dork, but you know, 
he's presented in a way that's pretty digestible for people. Right. And he's not overly pedantic or anything like that. And, you know, it, it, and that's, that's the difference. You want to be accessible to people and right. And a lot of people, I think, uh, in all types of industries, they take themselves way too seriously. Right. And there's a difference between taking yourself seriously and taking what you do seriously. So yeah, I take the job seriously cause you know, I care about it and you know, I don't want anybody to break their back because of my bad coaching. So, you know, I take that part very seriously, but uh, I don't have to take myself seriously in order to, to do that. You know? Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are kind of scared to show their true colors and that's something I'm trying to like show more of in my posts. Cause it, it's a tough thing. Cause I, I know even Mark Fisher went through a phase where he finally just let himself out into the world. And now you see his like true personality and everyone's just jumping onto the train of Mark Fisher because he's not afraid to show who he really is. No, and the guy is also one of the nicest humans I've ever met, and he's also extremely intelligent. So, I mean, he, he knows what he's talking about. And that's um, a, another lesson that you'll get from reading guys like uh, John Romanello because he and I had this discussion because I signed up for his business coaching, right, which was great. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody should do it if they're in that – well, any biz, but especially the fitness business because he's been at it for a long time. He knows his stuff, and you know he's a great writer. Um, so I signed up for his thing. You know, we had a conversation in a car uh, after one of the meetings. And it's like, yeah, you, know, you just got to be ourselves, be more vocal about this, that, and the other. So I was like, fuck it, fine. I'll do it. And then I did it. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Well, what's your opinion about like you know coaches signing up for – like business advice because there's a couple coaches out there that do it and even john goodman has like his i think it's the ota certification like do you think those things are worth it for coaches trying to build a business or i don't know what what's your take i think every coach should do well to learn about business if they want to succeed because it's hard to learn about it anywhere else unless you can go back to people who can reverse engineer all this all their success or better, I mean, if they understand why they got that way in, in the first place. So you get some of these people out there who are afraid to market themselves or don't like marketing or whatever. They think it's sleazy or whatever. But uh, it's your it's your job if you have something you feel is better than the rest to let everybody know that it's better. And you have to let them know that it is better in, a, in the best way possible. Yeah, because I think a lot of coaches end up like sticking to the training books and they don't kind of venture off into something like, yeah, marketing or sales or learning how to sell a person or how to generate leads or anything like that because it's kind of foreign to them because there's a lot of. Yeah, like, do you really need to do you really need uh, another goddamn training book? (laughs) I mean, some of some of them are good. I mean people ask me what my favorite training books are. I just tell them, uh, super training and the science and practice of strength training. Those will get you a long way that and go to Wikipedia. And this is what, um, one of my coaches had me do, uh, learn the anatomical terms of motion. And, uh, then you'll be steps ahead of everybody. You will, you will know more than uh, what, what gym chains do they have up in Canada that you're, you're familiar with. They have planet fitness. Uh, they don't, but they have like Fitness World. They have Gold's Gym. They have okay, like, so yeah. so yeah, if you if you learn from those books and then you learn the way that your bones can move, you know, abduction, adduction, uh, flexion, extension, all that stuff, you'll know more than the average bro at uh, Gold's Gym. Yeah, that's good. I really didn't want to make fun of Planet Fitness because I actually love Planet Fitness, <laughs> and if you make fun of Planet Fitness, I mean, this excludes people who actually compete. Like powerlifting, because obviously you can't go to Planet Fitness if you are a competitive powerlifter, because they don't have they don't have you know free barbells and free you know so you can't bench press with a bar or you can't deadlift and you can't squat. So excluding powerlifters, like if you can't get a good workout, if you can't program a good workout for somebody at Planet Fitness, you're probably not a good coach and you need to reevaluate your life. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so so yeah, but still, so I mean, even if like, you know, when people are like, oh, what book should I learn to, to get coaching? Even before they get certified, just read those books and you, you will go a long way. Because, like, you can look at Vladimir Zitsyorsky's book, The Science and Practice of Strength Training, uh, which I think he co-authored with some other guy. I can't remember. Um, you can look at that, right? And then if you look at guys like Louis Simmons and all that stuff, like, I mean, that's straight out of that book. Everything Louis Simmons does is straight out of that book for the most part. 
and then Louis Simmons goes on and invents the reverse hyper, which is excellent. But so yeah, and uh, God, where was I going with that? So yeah, just you don't really need like yet another training book. I mean, there's some niche type stuff that you could probably do that'll be good, uh, you know. But yeah, just just learn how to deal with people and learn how to build a business. That's 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 really like important. Yeah, like I'm a big fan of the Cosgroves, and when I first started in the industry, I just bought, you know, what Alan Cosgrove would write on his like programming. I like I can't remember what they were even called. A new rules of lifting. That's what it was. And just seeing how yeah. they programmed, I'm like, oh, this makes sense. I'll start doing that. And then yeah, another- no, and, and those and those are and like if you need a if you need like a reference to uh, learn how to like if you need to learn how to um, make things that are complex digestible those are great books uh actually for that very purpose because they do really well and they sold a fuckload of copies for that very reason you know they they produce results it's good stuff yeah and then like i remember him saying that you know as you progress as a coach your like bookshelf should start mimicking the fact that you're going into business and not so much uh training and he said the moment their gym started doing really well they noticed that that their bookshelf was more about marketing and sales and management than training because like you know how much more like training stuff do you need to know for the general population yeah like and and that's 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 really that's really it learn learn how to sell like you know you can go to conferences that have all that fitness stuff there and you'll be good to go you know like uh the fitness summit every year everybody goes and gets hammered and it's great <laughs> yeah it's the best way to learn is get drunk right <laughs> oh yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of booze drinking there i mean i was drunk like four out of the seven days i was in Can- or, um, kansas this past uh <laughs> this this past year for the fitness summit and uh you know it was, it was good and, you know there were some solid presentations too you know and a lot of a lot of learning was done and you know you go to those and write them off on your taxes and you're good to go <laughs> totally um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, is there anything that's bugging you currently in our fitness industry that you just want to like die and stop? Uh, probably most of it. Most so it's hard to, it. <laughs> it's, it's hard to, uh, I, I hate it when people, um, get too, uh, preachy and ranty on the, the computers or on their, um, phone cameras. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a thing. Uh, it's, it's another example of some of those people taking themselves too seriously. I think sometimes. Um, let's see what else? Gosh, throw, throw some things out because there there are things I just can't recall them because I try not to focus on them. You know? Yeah, I think the big one I always see is like now like Facebook ads for like gimmicky like stuff for your body. I think there was one lady uh, that was promoting like some sort of foam roller that could roll off the cellulite, and I'm like, fuck, come on. <laughs> And then there was that uh, stupid, um, was it like the ball thing that you can put in your mouth and chew on it and it was going to like strengthen up your jaw? I'm like, God damn it. And then like the worst part of that one, it was like I think two guys that came up with it. I'm like, they're probably going to make millions of dollars selling this stupid thing. And it's like, yeah. And, yeah. and you don't want to learn about marketing. Maybe you should. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Like, I brought this topic up before as a guy who came up with the Kino body. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, Greg, a uh, great guy. Yeah, like his marketing campaign of, you know, I think the first one was the, that giant mansion that he had with all, like, models and then the Lamborghini or whatever sports car he had and kind of, like, almost selling the lifestyle of having a better-looking body. Like, this almost comes with it. And I'm like, man, that was so smart. Like, so many people probably bought his program because of that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, like his you, stuff. His stuff converts like a motherfucker. Yeah, because now I think he has a new one. Because I just saw it. it is basically the same thing, but he has longer hair in this video and just more of the lifestyle of him partying with girls and stuff like that. I'm like, man, you are killing it. Good job. Yeah, he's a, he's another Canadian too. By oh, the way, I didn't if you didn't I know. Didn't know no. Yeah, he is. Uh, I'm not sure where in Canada he is, but he is a Canadian. And then he's probably like Toronto. Then there's nothing in the middle. Good coaches are nothing in the middle <laughs> of Canada, <laughs> other than Dean Somerset. That's the only one I can think of in Edmonton. But I don't know any good coaches out in like Winnipeg or something like that. 
<laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so I mean that 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 should be the incentive to learn how to market yourself right there is looking at those guys with those goddamn jaw things and being like, <laughs> okay, I have to do better, and then you should try to do better. You should hopefully have a better product than that, and and you just sell it better. You know, yeah. learn, learn how to write so you could write the, the the sales page and then sell it. Yeah, I think another thing I was thinking about the a couple of years ago is like when CrossFit first came out, I was like, oh man, this is so stupid, blah blah. But I'm like, why are so many people coming to it? And then I started thinking, I'm like, you any any of us could like just open up a CrossFit gym and plaster the name CrossFit on it, but not actually do CrossFit and have a really successful gym just because of the name. Well, I think some of the smarter boxes do just that. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't cost that much because some of the CrossFits that I've been to and seen, like, they don't have a bathroom. There's no air conditioning. There's no, like, heater. It's just a giant. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure some of that is illegal. I, oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> but I've seen some well, boxes that's because like they have that. to spend. that's because they have to spend 3000 uh, U.S. dollars a year for the goddamn name. Yeah. I think I think that's the figure that uh, I remember hearing is 3000 a year for the name. Yeah. Um. So let's go into our last question, and uh, I was supposed to start saying like asking this to everybody, but I kind of fell off. But um, if you had to pick a spirit animal for yourself, what would it be, and why? I don't know. I'm big at Allan Poe fans, so probably a raven. Nice. Yeah, they look cool. Uh, it also ties back into Metal Gear Solid because you fight the Vulcan Raven, which is kind of nice. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, birds are neat. There you go. Um, so very last question. Uh, where can people find you online? Do you have any projects coming out, speaking engagements, or any like products coming out you can just go plug away? Uh, products uh, in the foreseeable future, I'm going to release a glute training program. Uh, nice. That should be sometime, hopefully around spring. And you can find me on the internet. Uh, you just take my name, Peter Baker, shove a D right in the middle of it, peterdbaker.com and then you can go there and you can see all the stuff that I write about I'm also on Facebook which I don't I don't know my Facebook URL I think it's like facebook.com slash peterbaker4 or something like that and uh, yeah you can find me there and add me as a friend because you, you can attest my feed is generally pretty good it is actually yeah I always get. Uh, I always read or like see if you post a video or something like that. I'll always, uh, always see it. Yeah, it's like an equal mix of uh, hilarity and uh, sometimes information too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny because like the moment we were like added on Facebook together, like the first couple posting, I'm like I would always read it and then I would show my wife. I'm like I'm gonna be interviewing this guy. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'd like to know what some of those first ones were. Uh, they were pretty like but, uh, out there, you know, vulgar, but yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, you just you just got to have a mix. So every if you notice, like lately, it's been more information, less craziness, because yeah. you know I have to remind people that I am extremely smart, and you should listen to me because you gotta you gotta dial up the slider one way, and the other side of the slider has to go down. You just gotta keep that relationship inverted uh, at various times. Um, I think, I think, I'm not sure where the term originated. I heard it from Roman, John Romanello, uh, the Goodwill bank account. So the more free shit, the more funny shit that you provide, uh, you know, it makes everybody cool with you. So when you finally do say, Hey, give me some money for something, they'll be like, yeah, I guess I could do that. <laughs> and then they'll do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's already been an hour, so we got to wrap this up and I just want to thank you for all your time. This was just plain amazing. Oh, anytime, man. I had a blast. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 87 with Peter Baker. Hopefully you enjoyed his personality as much as I did. And as promised in a previous episode, I'm going to start linking every product that we talk about in these episodes. So we mentioned three training books that you guys should go check out. So if you look at the show notes in this episode, it will link you to Amazon so you can purchase them and become a better coach. And again, please, 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 please share this podcast with your friends and family on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or any other social media channel and spread the word of this lovely podcast. And I will be forever grateful for you doing that. Till next week, you guys. 
It's been a pleasure.